0: Welcome to the Friday, April 9th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, making hay out of murder, illness babies, vaccine passports, and a Reynolds Challenger. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. First up jailbreak politics. The deaths of two Anamosa State penitentiary staff members at the hands of a pair of inmates who were trying to escape has moved from grieving to the political arena. This week Democrats and Republicans in the Ottawa legislature suggested or accused each other of playing politics with the deaths. Democrats charged that the GOP has underfunded and therefore understaffed prisons. Years and the death of staff members was the eventual outcome of those actions. The rhetoric, somewhat constrained in committee meetings, escalated elsewhere. With House Speaker Pat Grassley saying Democrats don't support law enforcement, and Representative Bruce Hunter telling Republicans, "You have blood on your hands." At the same time, Republicans are proposing $20 million more for corrections, with Democrats calling that throwing money at the problem. And uh, the 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 GOP caused by gutting public. Collective bargaining back in 2017. Uh, at least the parties agreed that deaths were a tragedy. Todd, is this just politics as usual? Just what we expect from politicians using the tragedy to further their political agenda,
1: or am I being too cynical? Well, you know, of course that happens. Uh, we've seen it in lots of cases. I, you know, I think one of the be- best examples of tragedies leading to <clears throat> political debates are when we see horrendous crimes and the death penalty is called for we've seen that a lot of times over the years i mean this is but you know th- this is a real issue uh <clears throat> it's not just prisons and we've seen other institutions that lack staffing and adequate funding have problems juvenile homes uh, mental health centers i mean state the state run mental health centers uh, so there is an issue of whether these facilities can be run safely and properly with adequate security if you sort of lowball budgets. And and you need to ask also ask the question, if, if we're not able to fund sort of these basic priorities in a way that, you know, can keep staff safe and keep prisoners in prison and, and you know, keep the community, you know, around them safe. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be talking about tax cuts and things like that, but that's, each party has different priorities. Of course, Democrats uh, tend to stand up for the rights of union workers, and, and Republicans, of course, like tax cuts for their constituency, so that's a natural, you know, point of contention. But I think this this uh, tragedy in Anamosa shows that uh, maybe we need to look harder at how we're running these facilities and what sort of resources they actually need, whether it's $20 million or not. I I don't know. I don't, I, I, you know, the number popped out, but I don't know that it's actually associated with, you know, a critical look at what the needs are. It's a nice round number, I guess. But (laughs) so I think they, you know, it, it would be nice if the bickering would subside and they would, you know, sit down and try to figure this out. But, Republicans aren't always much for working with the Democrats and the and all of the rhetoric right now is, is turned up to 11. So it's probably not going to happen.
0: It ha- has the rhetoric gone too far? I mean, when you're making these claims that, you know, Democrats don't support law enforcement, that Republicans have blood on their hands, um, have have both sides in this taken it too far?
1: Well, I, yeah, I think it's, it's not correct to say either, you know, the Republicans have blood on their hands, I'm sure none of them wanted something like this to, to happen, but legislative decisions do have consequences. And, uh, you know, when, when you've got a party that's been in the majority or has controlled the entire state house for the last, well, you know, going on six years, uh, you know, it's there they're, when these sort of things happen, and if it is a question of adequate resources, then they're going to have to answer for that. But yeah, bl- the blood on the hands rhetoric and stuff is goes too far, but, You know, when when you run the place, you are responsible for the stuff that happens. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I was thinking I've heard a lot of egregious things said on the floor of the legislature, but I I was struck by that uh, comment. And I hope someone has done a welfare check on Bruce Hunter to make sure he hasn't uh, had an accident. (laughs) (laughs) Amy. uh... She wound up. (laughs) What's the political impact of these deaths since we've sort of moved beyond the human side of this to the political side of it? Um, Will this have political consequences uh, come 2022?
2: I would doubt it. You know, 2022 is pretty far away and we have pretty short memories as voters. Um, It really depends, I think, on if there are more incidents like this. Um, And and maybe we are seeing a few more incidents um, that are the result of of what Danny Homan would call um, a staff shortage at our state prisons. You know, um, we're we're seeing slight increase in in people walking away from, you know, work release type of thing. We're seeing, um, you know, increases in, in injuries. And of course, we saw these two deaths. So it's possible that if that continues on a track. Um, that really does, you know, benefit the side that's saying we really need to fully fund um, the the prisons. We need to um, give them all the resources that they need to prevent these things from happening. If, if we're going to be locking people up and we want them to stay locked up, we need to make sure that that's actually happening. I don't know if that really um, benefits or doesn't benefit either political party, however, because I think they sort of both have policies dealing with that. You know, the, the Republican solution right now is to, you know, throw a lot of money right now to to immediately fix um, staffing, but that wouldn't necessarily have a long term implication um, where the Democrats are saying if you opened up collective bargaining again, like Todd was saying, um that will then carry you into the future. So I think it really depends.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the arguments that the Democrats are making is that if they hadn't if collective bargaining hadn't been gutted, some of the issues affecting the prisons, staffing, equipment, over time, those sorts of things could be discussed in contract negotiations and could be addressed. But Republicans have you know, put everything off limits uh, so that they can't be talked about. And uh, I, I don't hear anybody, any Republicans talking about revisiting collective bargaining. Um, so I, I don't think there's going to be any change there. Um, I haven't seen either party try to fundraise off this tragedy. Um. And yet. In, yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, I do expect that uh, come campaign time in 2022, we'll hear more about this, uh, that it'll show up in ads and, and in the rhetoric of the campaign. Uh, I am surprised that it hasn't sparked uh, a fresh debate on reinstituting the death penalty, at least for inmates who commit major crimes in prison. I mean, that was usually part of the discussion is that, you know, what do you do with lifers who kill somebody in prison? And uh, Mm -hmm. I I really haven't heard that debate um, this week. uh, And I'm surprised that it hasn't resurfaced, but uh, still early, I guess. Um, We'll we'll see. (laughs) That's right. Moving right along here bonus babies. We learned this week that as the state is uh, hopefully recovering from a pandemic that led to an economic downturn, including high unemployment, Governor Kim Reynolds awarded two of her top officials with bonuses totaling $96,000. This follows uh, state epidemiologist Caitlin Pedati getting a 45% pay hike last summer, raising her salary to $265,000. Todd, should, should Iowans be upset? Or thankful than a state where the median household income is about sixty thousand dollars a year, they have state officials deserving of bonuses and raises larger than what most Iowans are.
1: Yeah, well, I I guess maybe we could we could be generous and congratulate our our overlords on their new uh, newfound wealth. <clears throat> that would be Iowa nice, <laughs> but yeah, you know these bonuses are always sort of I don't know they they kind of leave a bad taste in people's mouths when someone just gets a giant bonus. And, and it's, it's, it's never quite clear exactly why they're getting them. I mean, if a case were sort of laid out, well, here's the five reasons why this department director got a a big bonus. These are the great things that they did, but that never happens. In fact, they, they basically try to give bonuses and not have anyone know much about it. And then it, then it comes out and, and people wonder what's going on. You know, and it's also, you know, you, you juxtapose it against the you know, the governor's administration offering state workers uh no raise or flat raise. And well I think, you know, uh union staff at the UIHC are, are getting like maybe one or one and a half percent. Uh they're the you know, the, the frontline heroes during the during the COVID crisis. Uh so when you, you look at some of the folks that were, you know, risking their health and lives uh, during you know this crisis that are in working both in government and in businesses that uh, have suffered some economic damage and aren't giving out raises this year. It's, it seems, it kind of sits wrong for, you know, to watch the, watch these, uh, you know, already well-paid bureaucrats get another handed another big check, but um, does it, you know, is it, is it going to, is it going to matter going forward? I, you know, i I don't know. All of this the, the the prison situation, these bonuses, stuff like this, it all kind of adds back into that we talked about maybe last week or the week before about the argument about whether Reynolds is competent. You know, she's running the state properly. It's it's she's not just, you know, giving handouts to companies owned by donors and her friends in the bureaucracy and stiffing state workers and and miss, miss running facilities. So I mean that's this is all a None of these in in and of themselves maybe are all that damaging, but as sort of a a package approach to to campaigning against her, they might they might uh, you know leave a mark.
0: Amy, uh, the the governor also weighed in this week on vaccine passports, saying that she will take action to block them, even though uh, there doesn't seem to be a proposal in Iowa or from the Biden administration to create vaccine passports. Um, I suppose it's not surprising that Reynolds, who was mask reluctant, would characterize vaccine passports as infringing on our liberties. Um, Do you think she speaks for Iowans on that? Or or would some people welcome passports as a way to protect public health?
2: I'm sure some people would welcome vaccine passports. I'm sure some businesses um, have been at least thinking about them, if not outright saying this is a pretty good idea. um, And that's probably where this comes from. But I also think um, you know, it is very partisan. Obviously, you've got, you know, 10 Republican state governors, I think, as of right now, that have at least um, tried to, you know, put some sort of thing out there that says they're wanting to ban them. You've got the the federal um, No Vaccine Passport Act that's that's um, been introduced in the House that, of course, probably doesn't, you know, have the traction necessary to get it through the democratically controlled House. But, but nonetheless, it, it sort of like follows the track of You know, the Iowa legislature and other legislatures have also banned things like um, companies putting microchips in to track their employees, you know, things that hadn't been happening that, you know, they're wanting to, you know, prevent before before it starts kind of thing. So I don't think in that sense that it's very surprising that she would come out against it even before it's actually a problem or, you know, things like that. Um, I think the Biden administration um, is smart to say, you know, we're not thinking of anything like that. We wouldn't support anything like that um because yeah you can you can definitely see that there's big brother implications there's you know there could be you know problems for people on the other hand we require um children to be vaccinated against um things like measles mumps rubella you know other sorts of things to get into school generally um and when republicans have actually tried to you know stamp these out um, it really hasn't worked so i think we'll see basically like Right now, when everybody's still just trying to get vaccinated, it's kind of a moot point. Once we actually figure out um, who is getting vaccinated and who's not, you'll probably see this issue just totally go away.
0: You know, it's, it's an interesting question, and I'm not really sure how I feel about it, because I think we kind of assume, you know, that the person sitting next to us at, uh, you know, a restaurant or in the theater or at work has had those vaccinations, those inoculations. Will, at least. You know? Yeah. Y- yeah. You know, um, you know, whether it's measles, mumps and rubella or, uh, you know, yellow fever or TV or whatever, you know, smallpox, we, we sort of make that assumption. And I guess this just has sort of like opened that question. Like, you know, uh, am I safe from the person, you know, next to me? Um, have they taken the necessary precautions? Um, but it's I more like it's- the
2: flu, too. It's, it's also like, and we, do, of course, don't require people to, to have flu shots unless, you know, um, mm-hmm. you're a nursing home. And even in that case, most nursing homes, I don't think, are requiring people to show proof of flu vaccination. You know, they're just trying to keep it out in other ways. So in that sense, it's sort of uncharted territory. I think it's not exactly like measles, mumps, rubella, but it is um, obviously more dangerous than the flu. So, it, so it's a totally different landscape right now.
0: It has created a sort of a, a marketplace for fake uh, vaccine cards. I guess you for as little True. as twenty dollars, you can uh, go online and, and get a, a, a vaccine card. Uh, you know, so in case anybody else checks,
2: I'll copy mine and sell it for, <laughs> yeah. for, for half. <laughs>
0: there we go, um, Todd. Is this going to be sort of an extension of the whole mask argument? That you know, if, if a business says you know you have to have you know, show proof of a vaccine before we'll let you into our restaurant or let you on an airplane or uh I think it was Viking Cruises cruise line said, you're gonna have to prove you've had a vaccine before you get on one of our boats. Um and, and is, you know, is this going to be just an extension of that whole mask ar- argument and with people well,
1: attacking each yeah. other? I mean businesses are gonna require it. Uh not all, but you know, some that you know the that they want to get back to holding, you know, larger gatherings and things and having, you know, maybe bars having concerts and things like that. Or, And, you know, there are going to be other countries that, you know, realize how, uh, you know, lousy the pandemic was in the United States and how we didn't handle it very well. And they're going to, you know, if, we're, if they're going to start letting Americans come back to their, you know, their, their beaches and, and attractions, they're going to want to know that we're vaccinated. So, and you know, a lot of this I, Republicans are generally very supportive of property rights, and, and this is what it basically boils down to. If I own a business and I want, you know, people frequenting my business to be vaccinated, then you know, why should the government tell me that I have to let people in that aren't vaccinated <clears throat> into my private property? So,
3: mm-hmm.
1: but they're open to the public, so that that's where government comes in. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I. I also think you're going to see businesses, you know, I I've already seen some photos on social media of like of waiters and waitresses wearing buttons that say they've been vaccinated while they're mm-hmm. waiting tables to make customers feel more comfortable. So I think you're going to see, you know, there's going to, there's, there's going to be some, some, <laughs> some peer pressure uh, to get vaccinated. Right. And, and, and that may not necessarily be a, a bad thing, but the government's not gonna issue passports. They they may have to issue something that you request, like for traveling or something like that. But yeah, it's they're not gonna they're not gonna chip us and you know, track our movements. If they tracked my movements, it'd be pretty boring. Oh, there he goes to the living room again. Now he's going to the kitchen. Oh, they're already please.
2: tracking our movements for yeah, right. our phones, exactly, right? That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: I vaccinated so, into it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I don't <laughs> but yeah. you know, politics right now is about capitalizing on people's paranoia. So this fits right in. There you go. Yep. Yep.
0: <laughs> well, Amy, in recent weeks we've talked about Governor Kim Reynolds' reelection chances, and I guess you could say they just got worse because she now has a challenger. Um David That's Swindlehurst seems to be a politician without a party. Um, tell us about him.
2: Yeah, he's a. Uh, he called me up. He's a Cedar Falls native. He graduated from uh, the Catholic school in uh, Waterloo. Um, he doesn't find his home in either party, so he will be running as an independent in the general election, so you won't see him in the primary. Um, um, but he identifies more, I think, as um, an old-school Republican. He He really identifies with. Um, George W. Bush. Um, he liked that, you know, that sort of 90s compassionate conservatism that he saw um, in there. Um, he's got some work to do, though. I, his his website's not quite fully functioning. Um, he doesn't have a big social media presence. Obviously, he hasn't filed paperwork yet, but he's got a year to do so. But um, he thinks he, he could have a shot um, taking her down. He points to the Iowa poll that says she's She's only about 41% of Iowans hope she decides to run again. Um, He thinks that her pandemic response was terrible. Although if he was running it, he would have had everyone vaccinated by this point. So (laughs) slightly unrealistic since nobody has everybody vaccinated by this point. But yeah, so he's he's got some interesting and he wants to legalize marijuana. So there's that. If you're going to be an independent um, party runner, you got to say that you want to legalize marijuana basically at this point.
0: And
2: his chances? Yeah, probably as good as anybody's chances running uh, not as a Republican or Democrat, which, which are what, Todd? What, what are the chances of those people? What are his chances? Uh, the chances of a, a person not yeah. running as a Democrat or Republican yeah, for
1: governor. I think there will be a Democratic candidate for governor.
2: <laughs> right, right. I just meant what are the chances of an independent running for governor
1: actually becoming governor? Has this happened oh. in Iowa? it's like my my dad was always fond fond of saying two chances slim and none so
2: <laughs> it doesn't mean you don't try it, it almost but
1: seems so you're saying there's a chance it <laughs> almost seems like he might have
0: yeah exactly <laughs> um it almost seems like he'd be better off running as a republican as that old school republican fiscally conservative socially you know progressive uh, and challenging That way, although I'm not sure his chances would be much better. uh, Sure, yeah. Than they are as an independent candidate. What what, isn't he? Didn't he have a name for his party, the Black Sheep Party, or something like that? Black
1: Sheep Party. That's right. Referred to. Well,
0: he's (laughs) he's
1: he's got swindle in his name, so that
0: yeah, yeah, that's
1: a yeah, that's a tough one too. But people will remember.
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah,
2: it's memorable, right?
0: Exactly. Junk bond, Junkins, you know, uh, you know,
1: big debt chat.
0: Yep. I think that ads will write themselves. Uh, (laughs) All right. Let's do a a quick lightning round here. I guess that's uh, kind of redundant. Uh, President Biden has proposed a $2 trillion infrastructure plan that seems to redefine infrastructure in ways that cover some of his priorities that are not traditionally Thought of it as infrastructure but that's another discussion if my math is correct and i am a journalist practicing math here uh two trillion dollars works out to about six dollars for each of the 330 million de- americans uh so todd where are you going to spend your share of infrastructure dollars
1: uh, i think you can still get a six pack of hams tall boys for about <laughs> six bucks <laughs> And then after you drink them from an infrastructure standpoint, you can make a pyramid. You can, you know, you can do all sorts of things with them, whatever you want.
2: I like Todd's answer. I was going to say. And we need more pyramids. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to say, put mine toward one of those small little buckets of concrete that you use to build bird baths and things in your backyard and, and fill in one of the gaps in the street. <laughs> in your house.
1: Nice. See, that's more altruistic. Than All right.
0: There. So infrastructure and climate change you're addressing there. <laughs> sure. Sounds good. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not even enough. Six dollars isn't enough to fix the pothole in front of my place. So I, I don't know. I guess I will have to band together with my neighbors, pool our money, and fix that pothole.
2: If only there were so. a government entity that could just pool a whole bunch of money and do that. That would be amazing.
0: We shouldn't work on that. We'll talk about that on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. <laughs> but that's it for today. <laughs> um, if you enjoyed the podcast, tell a friend, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast, and send your fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and Cedar Rapids Gazette. Sound Thoughts will take us out. If you know and I have a band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to us. Our... For Amy Todd and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.
3: I cannot recognize the places I adore. The tel- telephone will pierce the silence of the night. Just say
4: You're listening to Iowa Public Radio's Friday Night Spotlight of Music with Iowa Roots. Down on the corner, I'm Bob Doerr. We just heard the sound thoughts from Cedar Rapids. The song Heal is on their disc. It's beginning to look a lot like disaster. Before that was 17 Candle from suburban Des Moines. Their song Back to Memphis is on the latest 17 candle CD, California IA. And the show started with a brand new band on Down on the Corner, Existent. They're from Clinton, the easternmost city in Iowa, I might add, and feature the voice of Susan Black, who co wrote most of the material on this self titled disc by Existent. We heard Defeated. At the bottom of this hour, exclusive Iowa Public Radio live recordings will take us back to the 2009 Iowa Arts Festival in Iowa City last June for a set by the 100s. You know, these live recording sets are one of many reasons that we're asking for your financial support during the fall Iowa Public Radio on-air fundraiser. Your dollars help cover the costs of making these totally unique to Iowa Public Radio recordings. It's something we hope to continue in the months to come. Your tax-deductible pledge can help make that happen. The toll-free number is 800-882-6427. It's eight eight two sixty four twenty seven. 6427 Pledge online, iowapublicradio.org. And thank you for being a friend of Iowa Public Radio. Former Iowa Cityans Youth Orchestra has a new disc. It's called Soup, and this is Melody Truck on Down on the Corner with Bob Doerr from Iowa Public Radio Studio One Network.